the Sunday morning message ended in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, which says, While we look not the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen, the visible, invisible things, are eternal. I want to make tonight a little bit of an application, a little expansion of that concept in more depth tonight. So we're going to do that together. Invisible things. Most of the time in the New Testament and even in the Old, when the word invisible is used, it's used of God. Romans 1 and verse 20 says, His invisible attributes. You know, 1 Timothy 1, 17 says, describing God, immortal, invisible, only wise God. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, that God created everything visible and invisible. So the invisible God created everything that is invisible. And so it shouldn't surprise us that you have to know the invisible God to see the invisible. And everyone who's lost in this world is blind to that ability. They cannot see the reality, the greatest reality of all, and that's God and everything that God has made. Um, so let me just give you a couple ideas. Seeing, seeing the invisible tonight is something that lost people cannot do because they don't know the invisible God. And let me also say this, you'll see it tonight played out a little bit more, but seeing the invisible is not just for super saints, as if there is something like that. Um, it's something that all Christians should be able to do. So the question on the screen is a good one. Can you see Meaning, can you see the invisible? And the answer is, if you're a believer, the answer is yes. But how much can you see? And how does it impact your life? So I directed your attention tonight to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to, if you've never done it before, and maybe you've never seen this part of Ephesians and its importance, I hope to draw it out for you tonight. There is a phrase that's used five times. And I want you to circle them, mark them down, write them they actually help frame out the entire book of Ephesians. And I would dare say tonight that if you don't understand the place and use of these five phrases, you will not, no matter how much you think you do, understand the purpose of and Paul's writing this epistle. The phrase is, in the heavenly places, which is invisible. All right? In the heavenly places. The first one is chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And here's the phrase, in the heavenly places. And by the time we get done with the five verses, and we're just going to read them and make brief comments, you're going to find that God is not just the only one in the heavenly places. In fact, there's a lot of people or things in, that place, in the heavenly places and a lot going on there. All right, let's keep going. Chapter 1 and verse 20 which really is the heart, 19, 20, 21, is kind of the heart of this book. Um, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So there is, please put this in your mind minimally, these things going on in the heavenly places are the main reality. All right? Just keep that in your mind, and I'm going to hopefully prove a little bit more to you. Chapter 2 and verse 6. And raised 
us up with him. So he's seated in the heavenly places, but watch. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is there, and if you're a believer, you, in some sense, are there. All right? Chapter 3 and verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might know might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So who's in the heavenly places? God is. Spiritually standing, you are. What else is in there? Rulers and authorities. These are levels or rankings of angelic beings. Most of the time they are used to, to talk about angelic beings, beings that are in opposition to God. That's most of the time. In fact, you're going to find it again in chapter 6 in a moment when I read the last use of this phrase, which you can turn there now. Chapter 6 and verse 12. And this is the spiritual warfare passage. Now you're seeing why you need spiritual warfare. Because the main realities are taking place in spiritual places. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood... But against the rulers, here they are again, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there are gods there, you're there, angels are there, um, evil angels are there, and there's a lot of evil going on and battles taking place there. So that's what's taking place. Now, why does that matter, and how does that help us see the invisible? Well, let me give you, I'm going to ask some questions just to get your mind working about, if you are reading Ephesians, this is, and you lived in Ephesus, and you were a Christian, this is what you would be asking. And eventually, I'm going to modernize it, all right? You would be asking this, how can we be called by God in Ephesians, the beloved people of God, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, and yet be opposed by our enemies and be persecuted or being started to be persecuted in ways that are taking place. How can we be God's beloved people? How can we have all of these spiritual blessings and all these things that God has given to us, but yet we are being opposed and attacked? Second, how can we, how can our God be the most high God? How can he in this book claim to have be on the throne, Jesus at his right hand, have conquered all of these things, and we are suffering in so much pain. Thirdly, how can Jesus claim in this book to be the cosmic Lord over all the powers and all the rulers and all the authorities, and his number one emissary, Paul, chapter 3, is in prison? And that is the problem, the conundrum that we all have. We have these pages in Scripture that tell us about these spiritual and invisible realities. And then we see all that and how grandiose and awesome and truly great it is. And then we turn around and we look at our lives like people might have done in Ephesus. And they say, well, if that's the greatest reality, how does that show itself in this reality? Because I'd have to be honest, they might say, this reality ain't so great. Right? So you find yourself in Ephesians, here's what you find. It's like a drama being performed 
And there's two kinds of things going on on the stage at the same time. There are all these heavenly things going on. And, there's, and they're all invisible. And then there's all of these earthly things going on. And they are visible. And the question is, which one of those will dominate the way that you think and the way that you feel and the decisions that you make on a daily basis? Which one rules? Which one rules in your life? Seeing the invisible. You know the story, and you don't need to turn there, but you're probably familiar with 2 Kings chapter 6. You remember when Elisha uh, had all, he was surrounded by the uh, Aramean army, and they were everywhere. And the servant comes, wakes up one day, he looks out the window, and he is horribly and terribly afraid because he looks out and they are surrounded on every side by horses and chariots and an army. You know this story. It's not the first time you've ever heard it, right? But Elisha stands at the window seeing the same thing that he does. But here's what Elisha does. He begins to tell to him, and in doing so tells to us, that you don't see the complete picture. And so he prays. He prays and he prays this prayer. Lord God, open his eyes. And he does. And what he sees is a complete picture of reality. It's not just that they are surrounded by an army of Arameans with chariots and horses... But that army is surrounded by an army of the heavenly hosts in spiritual, heavenly horses and chariots. It, see, it's not that that reality on earth isn't true. It's that reality is not complete without having this one interpret this one. Do you get that? Now you see why it matters? Ask yourself just this week, and we're only halfway through. How many of you have looked at problems, looked at difficulties, looked at situations, and they would discourage you, they would just make you despair, you'd get emotionally fraught about it, you might be afraid, anxious, depressed, whatever it might be, throw your hands up, you name it, you call it what you think. Have you ever thought that the reason why you feel this way, think this way, respond this way, is that you only see one reality and it is completely incomplete, if I can say it that way? Because there's no seeing the invisible. You can't see the invisible because you're not looking at it. I think it is our default position. We have this problem like the prophet did. Especially in times, in fact, read the Bible for yourself. The times that invisible things spiritually become visible is most of the time during a crisis. And I would tell you tonight that most of the time... When we face crisis, we see and face that, that crisis and respond to it with only one view of reality, and it's the earthly one. This prophet needed his eyes opened. And, and, and listen, and when your eyes are open to seeing the invisible, you know what happens? Everything goes in reverse. He was fearful when all he could see and all he chose to look at was this reality. But when this reality interpreted this reality, no more fears. No more anxiety. 
What would it be like, imagine, just for a few moments, what would it be like for the rest of this week and the rest of this month and the rest of your life that every difficulty, every problem, even mundane perhaps things that happen on a daily basis, what if you had the ability and it was habitual in your life that you never, never just saw the things that were right in front of your face it wasn't that you interpreted situations based only on earthly things of what you could see. What if you could see more? What if you could see the greater reality? And what if that greater reality interpreted your life and your circumstances in such a way that you responded completely different, in fact, maybe polar opposite than what you've done for the vast majority of your life? You don't think that's a possibility? Ephesians chapter 1. Read it with me. You remember what Elisha play, prayed? Open, their, uh, open his eyes to spiritual realities. Apostle Paul, chapter 1, verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Open the eyes of your heart. That you may know what is the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, which is a framework statement for this entire book? Chapter 1, verse 19, and then he says it again at the very end, translated 610. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, identical phrases in the Greek. It's what, so in between this book framework of Ephesians, he is telling you how do you live out the invisible power and strength of God when everything around you that is visible makes things look like impossible for you to handle in your weakness. So he prays that. And I can't tell, I, I wrote down in my notes, I can't think of a perspective that is more needed in the day in which we live. Earthly problems are very seldom looked at through heavenly eyes and solutions. Usually all we see is our earthly vision of reality, and we only see things in natural terms. When you have a financial problem, let me tell you, if, you, if heavenly view and vision and invisible things are what you turn to, then the first thing you do before you get upset or try to work it out on your own, you get on your knees and you pray. Right? Sometimes we would not say it as Christians. We wouldn't because we know it's not right. We act like and function as if what we see is all there is. That's what we do. We function as if this is all there is, and we think and begin to live that the real authority that's running this world is one that we can see. So I'll give you an example. Do you have the ability to see the invisible when you watch the news? Do you look at the war in Ukraine and the threat of nuclear war? Do you look at the high finances and the prices and all the things that are going up in our economy? And who's running for president and who's going to win this or do that? Do you look at all the trends that are immoral and all the things in our ethics and morality and everything going downhill in our culture? How do you look at it? Because if you looked at it without a heavenly perspective, it would be very discouraging, wouldn't it? But see, that reality is not complete 
unless you see that Jesus is the cosmic Lord and that he does rule the heavenly places. So with that in mind, I'm going to do one minute. This is how Ephesians works. Okay, chapter 2, he begins to tell and rehearse for these Ephesian people their spiritual realities of Jesus' victory. He wants to show them the cosmic victory he's been given. So he says, you were dead and you were running a course to this world. You were controlled by Satan and the prince of the power of the air. And you used to walk this way. And he tells them all that what you used to be. But he says, but now God in his great mercy, chapter 2 and verse 4, he saved you. And now you're in the heavenly places. And that's what can happen for you as an individual. And then in the next part of chapter 2, he says, listen, you know what the spiritual victory has? This is the kind of community you ought to be. See, you as a community ought to live this way, and these invisible realities ought to give you unity, no matter if you have Jew and Gentile. Chapter 3, he says, this is how community lives together. And this is how you live as individuals in a world. Chapter 4, whether you're a slave or who are, and it goes through the whole list in chapter 5. This is how a person who sees the invisible lives their marriage. This is how children obey their parents. This is how slaves respond to their master. This is how you fight every day, this whole book. It's about answering this question, when you live on earth, how do you bring heaven into it? That's what he wants to see. Because you may think, and you may practice, and unfortunately we do, that everything you can see is all that there is, and there's only earthy, earthly causes and effects. But you know what Ephesians' purpose is? You know what it should do in your life when you read it? It should jerk you out of that perspective. And I mean jerk you out of it. The five in the heavenly places, phrases, ought to show you that there is a reality beyond what we can see, and that reality in which God is Lord of controls everything in our reality. Case in point, Revelation 4 and 5, they are both throne room scenes of angels and people worshiping God, worthy is the Lamb, He has been slain, the scroll is open, and you have all this, and then immediately in chapter 6, all the judgments and the horrific things on earth are starting. But you know, before you get to the 6 through 19 awful things on earth, there's two chapters showing you this controls this. And you're supposed to read all of that from heaven's point of view. Now let me ask you, do you do that? Is that how you see your reality? No matter what happens, do you see yourself in that story? Which reality controls your decisions, and your choices. First half was that. Second half is the Hebrews 11. That's the theory. That's the lecture. We should see the invisible. We have the ability to see the invisible because God's given to it. And that's how important it is to see the invisible. What would it look like, though? How would I do it? How do I know if I'm doing it? I'll tell you this. If you want to write it down, here's the application. Subversive performances of seeing the invisible. That's what it will look like. You, I'll, I'll put it simple. You will make daily decisions that most everybody around you, and unfortunately many of your Christian, our Christian friends, will not ever make. You will make them different. And there are four people in this chapter, if you're in Hebrews 11, probably you know this chapter well also, who practice seeing the invisible. In fact, faith at the beginning in the first two verses is defined as such. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So seeing the invisible is a fancy way of saying you have faith. And what you have to do if you want to study it on your own, ready? Watch how this goes together all the way through the chapter. Here's what faith is, and then you see here's what faith does. Always together. Faith is and faith does. You see the invisible and you act on the invisible. That's the pattern of this chapter. And there are numerous people, some very explicit and some more implicit in their seeing the invisible, but they are there. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Here is the encircle it. So what is seen was not made out of things that are, inv- that are visible. So everywhere in creation, everything you can see was made of things that are invisible. And God says, you see it every day, but you forget the reality that visible comes from invisible. That the greater reality is what you cannot see. And then he's going to show you how people do it, like you and me. Ready? Chapter 11, verse 7. Noah's our first one. And I, I, under, I categorized him as, how do you see the invisible in uncertain circumstances? Ready? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events, underline it, as yet unseen. What does it mean? Was there ever a flood before Noah? Nope. In all the existence of mankind up until his time, had there ever been a flood? No. So how do you think he took it when God said, build this ark that is as big as the Titanic, and I want you to take, ready, 120 years to do it. Now, you've never seen the flood, but I want you to spend over a century doing something that you've never seen happen and nobody will understand anything about it. That doesn't sound too fun, does it? But you know what his life is? Never before situations, never seen it before. And here's what he does. He sees the invisible. Verse 7 finishes, By this he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness by faith. But verse 7 begins, By faith being warned concerning his event yet not seen. He'd never seen it before. But he looked down the road and says, because God said it, I see it. And I believe it. Now, you might say, okay, Pastor Walker, that's pretty good. And I could do that, and I've done that before. But could you do it 120 years? Could you, did you ever think like this? Uh, 50 years into it, man, this is taking forever. Do you think this is really going to happen? Do you think he ever dwindled in his faith a little bit or... The candle got a little flicker into it, so to speak. 120 years holding on to something that had never taken place. You ever hear God's promises to you, and you prayed them, and you say, I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust God for that, and you don't see anything happen. And you don't see anything happen. And another year of your marriage goes by, and you don't see anything happen. And another year your job happens, and you don't see, you don't see anything take place. And another year of your health and no cure, and more visits. You see? But he made decisions every day. I believe that God's story and his truth about the commandment of the flood is real. 
How about the next one? Verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was received an inheritance. He went out, underline it, not knowing where he was going. He'd never seen it before. Didn't even know. He'd never been there before. Noah never built an ark, never seen a flood. Abraham never saw the promised land. Didn't know anything much about it. And he, watch, he lived in a tent, verse 9. Now, what does that matter? Well, watch. He lives in a tent while he's looking for a city, verse 10. Everybody else at that point, pretty much, is living in cities. He chooses to continue to lay, live in tents. Why? Because he's living a lifestyle and making daily choices about living out what he cannot see the promises of God fulfilled. See, so it affected his choices. And it wasn't some, it was just how he lived and where he lived and the kind of place he lived in. See, it was an everyday thing, but he didn't live in a city. In fact, verse 10 says, here's why he lived in a tent. And so did his sons after him. Why? For he was looking forward to the city. What city? The city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. A city he never came to know and never saw in his lifetime. And so he kept living in tents. And when he died, his son lived in tents. And when his son died, he, he lived. Why? Because they chose to live a certain way that lived out their ability to see the invisible. Do you do that? I'll, I hope I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good enough friends with Joan and Alan, I think. Joan and Alan saw the invisible, and they sold their house, what city? Cherry, I thought so, I thought it was a suburb. Cherry Hill, and recently as of a days, a couple of days ago, or not even, right? right? Uh, bought a house in Bordentown. You say, oh, wow, that's great. Well, you know, it wasn't just moving from one house to another. You know why they did it? Because they said, I want to be closer to Faith Baptist Church and serve in ministry and not drive as far, so... I'm selling that house and buying a house that I'll be general, right? It wasn't cheap. Why would you do that? Why would you see, like, how would, why would you see the reality? You didn't move to make money. You didn't move for a better place. But you moved to be closer for God's people and the work of the ministry. Why would you do that? Because you see something that most other people don't. You see the invisible, right? Moses. Can you look at that? Chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of... See? Do you see it? He's making decisions. No decisions. No longer in the palace. No Pharaoh's daughter anymore. No royalty. No you know, retirement, pension, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. No to that. What? Yes to what? The reproach of Christ with the people of God and being mistreated and not, what, ready? Not looking for temporal presence. Remember this? Well, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see the comparative value system he's got going? That's what you have when you see the, vis the vis invisible. You have a different value system. Here's Moses. I'm not valuing Egypt, royalty, power, money. They are treasures. He did not try to deny that they were treasures. They are. But he says, but the reproach of Christ is comparatively greater. See it? Greater. 
How could you look at that and then look at this and say this is greater than that? Because you can see more than what Egypt and the wilderness are. You can see a reality that it has to do with Christ and his story and that you want to play a part in it. And so it says, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than treasures of Egypt. How? Well, he did the same thing that they did in verse 10. He looked for the reward he was looking for a different kind of treasure. He had the eyes to see, this isn't my treasure, this is my treasure. Well, how do you do that? Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. See? When you get in fearful situations, how did he handle it? When someone had more power, was bigger than him, and could have taken him out, how did he stand up to Pharaoh and not be afraid? How do you do it? How do you face fearful situations? And you don't know the outcome up front. You don't. How did he do it? He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses could do it. See? Joseph, when he died, it says in this chapter, he said, Take my body and bury my bones in Egypt. And over a hundred years after he died, he said before he died, you don't leave me here, you take me there. Why? Because he could see the invisible. I've never been to the promise, I'm not in the promised land. We've never been given the promised land. But God said we'd have it, and I believe it. And even though I'll already be dead a hundred years, you take me and put my bones there. And they did. You know why? Because he could see the invisible before it ever happened. After he even died. He could see that far. Look at that. Now watch. You say, well, Pastor Walker, you said it wasn't for the super saints. You've already said Abraham, Noah, Moses, Joseph. I mean, I thought you were going to. Right? Verse 13. These all died in faith. These all. All these ones. Not having received the things promised. Watch. But having seen them. See it? They didn't get the promises. They didn't get them in their lifetime. Let me ask you, are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? That God has promises, but they never become complete. Can you handle that? Can you see that far down the road and understand that maybe all the things that you've asked for and prayed for, maybe they won't come true now. And they greeted them from afar. Here's how. Because they acknowledged that they were strangers in exile. You know, the ultimate thing about seeing the invisible is you'll never see it unless you know who you are. It's an identity statement. They were strangers and exiles. You know how you can have heaven interpret everything on earth? Is when you see yourself primarily a citizen of here, not there. I'm a stranger here. I'm exiled from home. See, but if you don't see yourself, if you see yourself primarily here, then when you lose your treasures here, and you lose your position here, and use your power here, and you didn't get the education you wanted here, and people don't write your... See, it blows your mind, and it wrecks your world, because you can't handle it, because this is all you can see, and that's how you function every day. For you, truthfully, this is all there is, and when all there is folds on you, you can't handle it, because there's one reality only for you, what you can see. But it didn't wreck Noah, and it didn't wreck Moses, and it didn't wreck Joseph, and it didn't wreck Abraham. Even when God, it couldn't even see, it says he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And you know what? He did it. Why? It says in Hebrews, our book, our chapter, 
because he believed God would raise him from the dead. Now, that is incredible. Why? There had been no resurrections. There had never been a resurrection. Where did he come up with it? God. He knew who God was. And he knew that God had the power to do it. And he believed it when it had never been believed in or even thought of before. That's what I'm talking about. Seeing the invisible. Because that's what faith does. Time's over. I'm going to give you my list. After I said Jonah and Alan already. Radical, here's what seeing the invisible might look like. Radical faithfulness in a difficult marriage for years. Never seeing the promise comes true. Taking a lesser job with lesser pay so that you can spend more time with your family to make sure that by God's grace they turn out right and that you can serve God more because of it. Using your retirement not to take it easy but to work harder for the kingdom and whatever that might mean. Giving financially until it changes your lifestyle at times because you can see that this material world is not what offers true satisfaction. It looks like John Mark and Sandy Gutterson texting me today, finding unbelievable joy at the cancer treatment center because they are able to meet people, talk to Jesus, and give out battle bags. Who finds joy at the cancer center when you are nauseated from the treatment? People who can see the invisible. Keep working a ministry in the church year after year, Greg and Mike Lestina, I have your name on here anyways. In the kids' ministry, classes, things you do in Awana, years and years. I don't know how many people would even thank you or acknowledge that you've done it for longer than most people have existed. But you do it. Why would you do it for all those years? Because you can see the invisible reality of lives change from early ages. How about... Facing strong fears about witnessing for Jesus, not knowing how your lost family members who normally ridicule you would take it or how your boss will see it or your friends will accept or not, but you do it anyways in love. How do you able to, because you can see the invisible. Can you? Let's pray. Ah, Father, help us. There's a greater reality to the one in the heavenly places. You are on the throne. All the powers have been subjugated to your authority. You rule. You rule. Oh, what confidence that would bring to us if we saw everything in our lives on earth from that perspective. Oh, we'd make different decisions. We'd have different values. We'd use our money and our time differently. We'd see people differently. We'd be more risky. Oh, God, we pray as Elisha did for his servant, as Paul did for the Ephesians. We pray again in our day today, tonight. Open our eyes. Open our eyes that we would see the invisible, that we would see you. In Jesus' name, amen.